0: Lord Jesus, we thank you that you allow us to conduct your business orderly in love and compassion and mercy towards one another. God, we ask now that as we turn our attention to your holy word, that you would speak in you alone. God, your words would go forth and they would not return void. God, we ask that you would speak in spite of a foolish servant, you would draw our eyes and hearts unto your word, to encourage us, to convict us, to challenge us. Father, we need to hear from you this morning. We ask that you would speak as we, your servants, try to listen humbly. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. you have your Bible with you this morning, I invite you to take it and turn with me once again to the book of Jude, to the book of Jude. It is the second to last book in all the Bible. So if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, go to the very end, which is the end of technically the New Testament. Go back one book right before Revelation is the small book of Jude. Once again, this morning we will be reading Jude in its entirety. There are no chapters in Jude. It is just a 25-verse book or letter that Jude has written to the church throughout all the ages. If you don't have a Bible with you, you're welcome to take one off the back of the pew. If you don't have a Bible at home, take that Bible with you as our gift. Or if you prefer to follow along on the screen, the words will be on the screen. As you find your place in sacred scripture, I would ask, though, if you're able, would you please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. We look together now at the book of Jude. As is our tradition when we reach the end of our reading, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and I will ask you to respond by saying thanks be to God. The word of the Lord, Jude, verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who were called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts. They feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn. "...twice dead and uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was, about, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones." to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these people who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy without fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We spoke last week about this incredible book, this letter that was written by Jude, which is a Greek translation of the name Judah, who is one of Jesus' half-brothers. Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit He is born from the virgin womb of Mary, and as Mary and Joseph have more children, Jesus has physical, biological brothers. This is one of those brothers. As we talked about last week, this is one of the brothers that thought that Jesus was absolutely crazy. They tried to have him committed and put in the loony bin. He was out preaching the gospel, and they tried to get him, and remember Jesus says, Who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters? Are not these my mother and my brother and my sisters? Because they thought this Jesus who grew up, this was our dad's son. This is our brother. He's a simple carpenter. There's no way he's the son of God. There's no way he's the Messiah. But after jesus's crucifixion we see both james and jude become incredibly spirit-filled powerful faithful loyal men of faith loyal unto death according to church tradition what changed in these men's eyes that their brother went from being crazy to being the son of god i'll tell you what happened jesus got up out of the grave and walked out living When you're dead and you've been dead for three days and then a tomb just bursts open and you walk out and people can touch you and you're not some spirit that's hovering or floating around, you can say, here, feel my scars in my hand, feel my scars in my thigh. Hey, is that some fish? I'd love to sit down and eat some fish with you for dinner. Jesus was resurrected in a glorified body that could be felt and was physical, that could be touched. And when his brothers saw him, they said, oh, my God. You are. You are who you said. My God in heaven, this was the Messiah. They understood. It's one of the only times in human history that when somebody sat back and proclaimed, Oh my God, they meant it for what it was worth. It was not the Lord's name taken in vain. And so Jude and James' lives were transformed forever. And Jude writes this letter and he wanted to write about the common salvation That was delivered once for all to the saints. You'll remember us talking about the canon of Scripture. The faith that was delivered was already understood at this point in history. By the 60s, Jesus died in the 30s. Only 30 years later, it is understood that there are some letters that have been inspired by the Holy Spirit that belong in the category of Holy Scripture. And there are other writings that do not. And as much as Jude wanted to write about the common salvation, he couldn't do it. And he couldn't do it because there were wolves that had snuck into the flock. There were false prophets going around preaching a false gospel. Folks, when you see people who have their own private jets, when they have $17 million parsonages that they live in, and they proclaim to be preaching and teaching the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, those things don't compute. And yet in droves, there are thousands and thousands of people that pour into prosperity gospel churches week in and week out. Folks, if anything, we are told in the Bible that our lives will probably get harder once we trust in Jesus because we'll see that it's not about us and we'll begin to focus on others, that we will love God with all that we have and we will love others as we love ourselves. And that will not mean that we accrue great wealth For our own well-being, it means that we will selflessly pour ourselves out like a drink offering, as Paul says in Philippians. Folks, the Christian life is simple, but it's not easy. Don't ever get the two confused. There are many things in life that are simple and incredibly challenging. The Christian life is one of those things. It is simple. You walk by faith. You trust in Jesus. You love God and you love others. It's just that simple, but it's not that simple easy. And I want you to understand that when you hear these televangelists, when you see these people that say, oh, just send us some more seed money. Just send us some more money in the envelope and we'll send you back some anointing oil and you can anoint yourself and your cancer will be gone. I feel you through the TV screen. I feel you right now. I, I, I'm hearing a name. It's Miss Agnes. And Agnes is hurting and I feel it right now. And the Spirit's moving and he is just moving lupus out of your body right now. I feel it happening. Those are false prophets from the devil, they want your money and they don't care at what cost it is to you. They don't care about you and their prayers are not heard. They are liars from the pits of hell. The gloomy darkness that we read about multiple times here in Jude and again in Second Peter is reserved for those who would pervert the gospel for their own personal wealth, prosperity and gain. Folks, do not believe the lie. There are others who have snuck in throughout church history, and it goes all the way back to Jude. Only 30 years after Jesus has died, there are people who are sneaking in to try and draw true believers and true Christians away from the truth of the gospel. This is not new. Televangelists, the prosperity gospel, somebody coming along and perverting and changing what the truth of the gospel is, is not New. It's as old as the resurrection itself. People tried to say that you believe in Jesus and you got to do all these other things. Today, there are denominations, there are cults that say, oh, yeah, 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 You, you, you believe in Jesus and then you do all these other things. That's not the case. You believe in Jesus and live for him. Give him your life. That's it. So, he can't write about their common salvation. He has to write about what all has been going on. And he makes a lot of of mentions to things that can be theologically difficult to wrestle with. And uh, there were about 10 people here with me on, on this past Wednesday night in prayer meeting, and we really dug deep. I mean, we dug deep into the meat of the book of Jude, talking about how the archangel Michael was contending with the devil and what that really means and where that story comes from. We talked about the prophecy that Enoch gave and and what Jude is quoting right there. There's a lot of details and a lot of things that I would love to share with you. But for the lack of time, if you want to know those kind of details, let's dive into deeper Bible study together. All right. Show up for a few other times that we gather and we'll talk about how the devil wanted to use Moses's body as an idol for the Israelites to worship so that they would think that Moses was their God. And you can look in Zechariah chapter three and see Some of this exchange that took place and how Jude is quoting a true thing, a fact that happened from a source that is less than reputable. But not the whole source is discredited. See, it gets convoluted really quick. We'll deal with that on a more intimate level. He then comes to Enoch. This is one of my favorite prophecies because I want you to see before the flood, Enoch lived before the flood. And this is the prophecy that he gives Over His generation, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of His holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. Four times we hear the word ungodly. There are ungodly people who have done ungodly things in ungodly ways and rebelled ungodly in ungodliness as sinners against the Lord. These are the people who were destroyed by the flood in the times of Noah. Enoch is Noah's great-great-granddaddy. And so Methuselah is Moses' granddaddy, and he goes and talks to Methuselah when the flood is coming probably. Methuselah was alive for 969 years. He's probably still around just up until before shortly the flood. And I want you to understand the same things that were happening then have always Been happening. Sometimes we like to think that we're on an island, that we exist in a time where things are worse than they've ever been. In all of creation, in all of history, it's worse now than it's ever been. And I want you to know that is not true. From the moment Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered this world and cursed my heart and your heart and every human heart. It cursed the very ground and the very earth that we live upon. And so from that moment forward, this world has been longing and groaning for redemption. It got so bad that the Lord had to flood the entire earth and just save one family. And then even after that, it got so bad that God's judgment was carried out over and over again. But the things that we look around and see were written about In the 60s, not the 1960s, not the 1860s, not the 1760s, the zero, ought, ought, 60s. 30 years after Jesus dies, we have sayings about people following sensuality, grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires, loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Did you think that today you're unique and you're special because nobody else in all of Christian history has faced Foul businessmen or politicians who are loudmouth boasters, who are lying only for their own political gain and advantage. Jude wrote about it. It was happening in his life. It was happening for him. There were loudmouth boasters who showed favoritism to gain advantage. There were people who were drawn away by their own sinful desires. Remember what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, and it says that they were reserved in, in verse 13, it talks about the waves of the sea casting up the foam. The gloom of utter darkness has been reserved for them forever. When it talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, and it says just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities there in verse 7, much likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. There's tradition that goes back in Jewish history that oddly enough there was smoke that never ceased to rise. From Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you were to travel by those cities, there was a smoke that was constantly rising from those cities. And so people began to believe that the judgment that God had of bringing fire down to consume the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah was an eternal flame because it continued to burn, because smoke continued to rise from those cities cities. There's also an eternal flame that we know of in the final judgment that those things are reserved for. And when our minds go to Sodom and Gomorrah and we read verse seven and we think about people giving up their natural desires for unnatural desires, we immediately go to what we struggle with much in today's society. And that's a man with a man and a woman with a woman in matrimony or in a relationship or otherwise. I want you to understand that was going on In Sodom and Gomorrah. That was going on in the Roman Empire. That's not new. It doesn't catch Jesus or God or the Father, the Spirit, our triune God off guard at all. He's seen it before. It is sinful, but it is no more sinful than the sexual immorality that also plagued those cities. We have to understand that there should not be this hyper-focus on a man with a man and a woman with a woman. The hyper-focus should be that any intimacy, any relationship that only belongs between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, is sexual immorality. We want to get so hung up on men being with men and women being with women, but we don't care about the pornography epidemic that is going across our nation and sweeping through our churches. Folks, the the statistics are sobering. As we, as we look out across this room, probably one out of every two men either is addicted or has been addicted at some point in their life. In the church. I'm not talking about statistics outside of the church. I'm talking about in the fellowship, the assembly of us as believers. And the Greek word that is used for sexual immorality is porneia. That's where we get that word from. Sexual immorality includes anything outside the union of a man and a woman married. And our culture has drawn our attention to be hyper-focused on these one type of people. But God has no tolerance for any sexual immorality. All of it deserves punishment of death and separation from God. We should be just as zealous about being pure from all of it. But sometimes we do a very poor job of what we read in these last few verses. We lose people because they find community and they find love. They find redemption and mercy outside the church but not inside the church. People who are struggling with desires for another man as they are a man are condemned and judged and cast out instead of loved and brought close. We have no category for friendship anymore because we're afraid somebody's going to call us a homosexual. I can't have a good close guy friend because the world doesn't understand what a friendship really is. They're going to say that I'm in a relationship with that person, not just a friendship. And we're so afraid of those accusations that we just, we put everybody at a distance. Somebody does not have the freedom to come to you as a brother or sister in Christ and say, listen, I've been struggling with this. Every time I'm alone, I go to these websites I ought not to go to. And they can't come clean because they know that all that awaits them is judgment, testigation, and ostracization. They'll be ostracized. All right? That's what I'm going for. Folks, we don't have mercy. We have judgment. And look with me at these verses, beginning of verse 17 once again. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their ungodly passion. The apostles already told you about this. It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people devoid of the Spirit, causing division within the church. But you, contrary to that, contrary to the divisions, contrary to the worldly people devoid of the Spirit, but you, beloved. Show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. You realize we can despise the sin in our heart and in our lives and the sin that we see in our brothers and sisters, but still show mercy with fear. We're out of practice in showing mercy with fear. Look, I'm not wagging my finger at you. This has been eating my lunch all week. I want to be quick to judge. I want to be slow to mercy. But our God is patient and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And He has been so rich in mercy to me. Who am I to rush to judgment on someone else instead of loving them and showing them mercy? Instead of looking at them the way that Jesus looked at the woman caught in adultery and said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. To call people lovingly out of their sin, but have mercy on them that they're going to struggle to be their support group and love them and show them mercy. The reason that people leave the church is because they find better community outside of this place. And church, that should never be so. The reason that people who struggle with attractions to the same kind of person, men to men and women to women, the reason that they abandon us is because they are welcomed with open arms. And we don't have to condone what they're doing. We don't have to condone what an adulterer or an adulteress is doing. We don't have to condone somebody being addicted to bad images on the Internet. We don't have to condone these sexual sins. But we can welcome people with open arms and say, Hey, we all got struggles. Why don't you come and join with us and let us love you and show you a better way? That is our call, to love God with all that we have and to love others as we love ourselves. I, I would be willing to guess that you're a lot like me in the sense that if my thoughts were broadcast for one day, I don't know that I'd ever be able to show my face again. Why is it that way? Why are we so harsh with one another? Why do we cut each other off so quickly? And there's no room for confession. There's no room for repentance. There's no room to love somebody back into fellowship. Folks, God help us that we would show mercy on those who doubt. To snatch people out of the fire. To passionately pursue them that they may may not end up in the fiery pits of hell. To pursue them and snatch them out of the fire with the love of Jesus Christ. And say, I don't condone what you're doing, but I love you. And God can heal you. God can redeem you. God can deliver you. God can save you. God can draw you into this fellowship. And we will surround you with love and accountability. And we will walk with you. And we know it's hard, but we are here. And we're not going anywhere. Come to the Father and we will love you at the foot of the cross. I am one beggar looking at another beggar and all I can tell them is, hey, hey, there's bread down this way. Ain't no better than that. And I like to get up on my soapbox and say, oh, so you struggle with that sin, huh? Well, let me tell you what, you better not be out, out loud or vocal about that in any way because then we will shun you. Because we are very good at hating even the garment stained by the flesh. We're just not even going to pretend like you exist. You're not welcome in this place. And if you do walk in here, everybody's going to turn their head and just stare at you. Who they think they are coming in here. How dare they enter this place. This is holy and sanctimonious. And they are sinners that have walked into the house of God. God help us. Who are we? We are the sinners. Not the tax collectors. They can't even look when they come in. We beat our breath. Say, God, have mercy on me. Because I am a sinner. And I have failed. And I need just as much grace as everybody else in here. Lord, help me to show others the grace that you've shown me. To show them the mercy that you've shown me. To show them how you you despise the sinful things that they do, but you died to redeem them. There is redemption available for everyone. But we are stumbling blocks. when we get high and mighty on our horse. And we think we're doing God's work by hating the garment when we haven't learned how to show mercy with fear. Folks, we live in South Alabama where everybody's a Christian. Can we throw that aside? Can we start loving people like real Christians instead of just down South good homeboy Christians? Can we start showing mercy with fear, hating sin, but calling people to the redemption that is available to them? How does that look in your life? How does that look in my life? What are we going to do different to love the so-called unlovable and show them the mercy that's been shown to us? Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you for your love and for your mercy. God, thank you that you died for sinners, even though you despise and hate our sin. Thank you that you died for us, that there is no us in them. Lord, I pray that you would help us to call people to repentance, to show them your love, to point them to the coming judgment, but to show them that there is mercy that is available and free. Help us, Father, to be a loving community of faith that welcomes all people from all walks of life, no matter their sin, no matter their skin color. Lord, I pray that you move amongst us and call us to repentance, that we might love the way that you have called us to love. Father, we thank you for your patience with us. God, thank you that you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God, we ask for you to move. We ask that we would respond in obedience, Father, that your Spirit would call us to respond in obedience. We ask these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.